help someone out who would, who would say, where do I go to see and to learn how the Bible is put together? Can you give some resources maybe for basic level, you know, a person in the church, not a, not a pastor, not a leader, and then maybe a pastor would say, I couldn't do that. I don't know how to piece the Bible together like that. What's a resource for, for me as a pastor? Well, the most important thing to do is read the Bible. Um, surprise, surprise. Um, but but that, that really is the most important thing. So there is a danger in reading the resources so much that you don't read the Bible. Um, my, my, I'm going to tell you a secret. Um, my students at Trinity have a love-hate relationship with me. Um, that's because when I teach a course, let's say, on Acts and Paul, then they have to read the surrounding literature and some commentaries and biblical theology and all, all that, that kind of stuff. But I make them learn the text so well that at the end of the course, I expect them to be able to answer questions like this. What's in Ephesians 5? What becomes, comes before the seed stuff in Galatians 3? And in other words, I, give, I quiz them constantly, brutal facts. They have to know the facts. And some of them complain and say, do you know that's really undergraduate? You know, learning all that stuff, memory work. But I worry about preachers going out who've read all the secondary literature and how to put it together and still haven't read the Bible. So I remain a, an old-fashioned, keep-your-nose-in-the-text kind of guy. Having said that, there are today increasing numbers of books that help you understand how the whole Bible is put together. One was mentioned by um, Alistair, uh, Chris, Christopher Ashe, who, who, who puts it together in, in a in a way that draws around the theme of the gathering of God's people. You can, you can write, there are a lot of books that sort of put the, the themes together on, on one axis or another. There's one, for example, on Temple by Greg Beale that just follows the Temple theme, theme by the, throughout the whole Bible. And then at the risk of sounding like a peddler, um, I, I, uh, I wrote a book a few years ago called The God Who Is There. And it goes through the whole Bible, pitched it about first-year university student and up. Um, for complete biblical illiterates, um, that is, who don't know anything about the Bible. I even explain the big numbers and the little numbers, you know, chapters and verses. People come into the churches don't know that stuff. The people I evangelize on university campuses have never heard of Abraham. They don't know the Bible has two testaments. They don't know anything. So it begins with nothing, but goes through the Bible in 14 chapters and tries to track. So the first one is the God who makes everything. The second chapter is the God who does not wipe out revels. It's really fall. The God who writes his own agreements, it's Abrahamic covenant. The God who legislates, it's Moses and the law, and so on, until eventually you have the God who becomes a human being, and then eventually the God who declares the guilty just. And the last two are the God who is very angry and the God who triumphs. So it's, it's going through the whole Bible, roughly sequentially, putting all the themes together in a way that is evangelistic. It's openly evangelistic. There's a study guide for leaders with that and a, a video series as well. Uh, there are lots and lots of resources like that. There's a little book by Vaughn Roberts in, in St. Ebbs, uh, an Anglican church in, in Oxford, England, uh, that at a simpler level does somewhat similar things. There are a lot of resources out there. If you don't know where to start, ask your pastor. He knows everything. <laughs> the books and resources room would be helpful to you. You could go there, and, uh, and Doug, who Doug Downer heads that up, would probably point you in the direction of good books along those lines. Good, in a church like this, there are always resource people that can help you. Mm -hmm. You just have to ask around. Yeah. Alistair, let's go back to what you were talking about in your <clears throat> first session with us. You said that we come to church to hear the voice of God, 
I was reminded of the second Helvetic confession that the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. I agree with that. I think you do too. Let's suppose someone out there is a skeptic and says, yeah, where in the Bible is that? Is that really true? That the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Where do you go in the Bible to make that case? And a follow-up question, when is that not the case? When is a sermon not the voice of God? When it's not the voice of God. <laughs> yes. Next is question, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, I think, I think the passage I refer to in Deuteronomy 4 is, is probably a good starting point, you know, where Moses is explaining what has happened there and how God has assembled them to listen to his voice. Well, where is his voice uh, heard? Um, the, the, the word of God, if, if we think in terms of New Testament for a while, I mean, the word of God uh, through the New Testament writers, um, that which was preached and explained is then inscripturated so that if we want to know what God has said, then we, we find it in the fact that it has been breathed out for us in Scripture. And so to the extent that preaching is the setting forth of the explication of what is said in the Bible so that people can actually take the Bible and look in it, as, for example, we've been doing just now and turning to Psalm 78 and moving here and there to see whether what Don is saying is actually in the Bible. And then there is this mysterious work of the Spirit of God where the skeptic suddenly has this encounter that he can't fully explain or she can't fully explain in terms of the skill or the effectiveness of the preacher. Every book that they've ever read, they have come to it with the hope that they might understand it. And now it appears that they are reading a book that understands them mm -hmm. and that the, this awareness of of things. Um, you know, the disciples, uh, I mean, I thought what Don said was so tremendously helpful, wasn't it? I mean, it, um, you know, Christopher Ashe in one of his books actually says, you know, that the ministry of Jesus with the disciples was a complete disaster. Hmm. I mean, he, they, he, they, they, they just do not get it. And uh, even at the very end, when the, when the women come from the tomb and say, uh, it's empty, and uh, apparently, they say that it, it, their words seem to them like nonsense. Well, Jesus had explained why that would be and how that would be rectified so that their understanding of the, you know, you can't really get a doctrine of um, substitutionary atonement just out of the Gospels alone mm -hmm. until the Spirit of God has been given, and then Peter writes, and then Peter preaches. Um, so when, the, when that, there is... The, 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 best, the best argument for the authenticity of the Bible is the Bible. And the awareness that it is this book comes when individuals look and say, well, there's nothing peculiar about that individual, but somehow or another, God is actually speaking to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and, uh, and then in looking back on, I mean, the, the hymn writers, I know not how the spirit moves convicting men of sin revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. I mean, 
the mystery of it is there. But I mean, as Don finished, I thought that's, I, I think that all the time. Mm-hmm. I say, why do I believe? Mm-hmm. Why, do, why, why am I not completely unsettled by all the voices that rage against, you know, the gospel of Jesus? Again, I can only explain it in terms of, you know, God's, God's truth abideth still. So much what we're talking about this weekend is what we call sometimes expository preaching or expositional preaching. We're exposing rather than uh, bringing in, rather than importing. Dave, you've written a book called Expository Preaching. Can you give us a definition of expository preaching? (laughs) Well, there's a lot of them. Uh, Shorthand, though, um, I open with the idea that it's empowered preaching, and I use the word passive, passively by design. Um, it's empowered. It's the thing we're talking about. It's, it's the Holy Spirit as the agent at work through this word that has been put down. So expository preaching is empowered preaching where the shape and emphasis of my talk is rightly submitted to the shape and emphasis of the biblical text, which is a little more uh, complete perhaps than just the big idea of the text being the, the idea of my talk. I think expositional preaching is looking for that, that shape, the topography that the Spirit has actually laid down and uh, fo- follow that course that's been put down there for us. So that's, that's a shorthand definition, empowered preaching, where the shape and emphasis of the talk is rightly submitted. And there's a lot that I would put under those two words, yeah. Christ-centered and all what it means to be rightly submitted to the shape and emphasis of the biblical text. And doesn't that presuppose a text? Or does it? <laughs> well, tomorrow I'll try to answer that. Okay. <laughs> but not tonight. Uh, we, it, not tonight. Uh, you'll have to come back and look at Acts 17. Uh, generally speaking, the answer is yes. Generally speaking, yes. Don, any thoughts that you'd want to add uh, on any of these questions that I've asked Alistair or Dave regarding preaching? Well, there are always the kinds of things that can be fleshed out yeah. in great detail. Sure. But I don't disagree with anything they said. I didn't suspect you would. <laughs> I'd, I'd call that a B plus. Yeah. Maybe a B. Maybe a if, B. If I did disagree with them, I'd have to go and find out why I disagree with them, and then maybe finally get corrected and get some of my theology sorted out. Yeah, I wait for that day. <laughs> Brother, in the new heaven and the new earth, we'll all get our theology yeah. sort of there. All right, so we're on a light-hearted moment already, so let's continue in this. Uh, when preachers get together, they often share their flubs, foot-and-mouth moments. Any come to mind for you guys that you'd want to, or you'd be willing to share? Not want to, but be willing. Well, I'll give, I give you one. When I was still a student, when I thought that... Um, when I thought that if I had something clear in my mind, I would be able to go from my mind to my mouth and to the ears of people in a sort of flawless way. Um, And so I was in this sort of strange mode whereby um, misinterpreting much that was said in the Bible about, you know, don't don't, don't worry about it. You'll know what to say when you're supposed to say it. And, And on a Sunday, unexpectedly, I was invited to speak to a boys' Bible class on a Sunday afternoon in Leicester in England. 
And uh, somebody said to me at lunch, he said, well, do you, do you know what you're going to say? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, I'll be fine. <laughs> so, so we got in the room, and it was a group of teenage boys, and they were all teenage boys. And someone said, you know, this is Alistair, and he's going to you know, speak this afternoon. And so I said, well, boys, uh, there's a piece in the Bible that says, uh, choose you this day whom you will serve. And um, it says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And, yeah, choose you um, <laughs> this day whom you will serve. <laughs> and it just absolutely went downhill from there. I, I, had, I, I had a clue about anything at all or anything to say. And the boys are looking at me like, is this really happening? And, and I was humiliated. You know, I mean, I, I threw other stuff at it, but it was just, it was unbelievable. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and I have one other one. I have one other one. Is, He's uh, only got two, but I got dozens. Yeah. No, no, I got one other one I'm prepared to share. But I was, because this was actually a life-changing moment for me. This one, that was just totally humiliating. And also I learned, and I say to say young guys now, that writing yourself clear is, right. is absolutely crucial. That, that anyway. Um, so I was invited uh, when I was in Edinburgh to speak to uh, a gathering of the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Um, uh, the, uh, students, university students, some medics, a lot of guys from New College in Edinburgh, people like Ian Hamilton were there and stuff like that. And they asked me to give three talks at this retreat, uh, started on, uh, late on a Friday evening. Uh, and the, the theme of the retreat was mission in the last days. Well, I was at this time probably t 24 maybe, and what I knew about mission in the last days could have been put on a postage stamp. So I looked in the Bible and thought, well, where is there something about the last days? I said, well, Second Peter, and it seems kind of missional. So I said, fine, I'll do Second Peter. So I, 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 made, I prepared these talks, a chapter, a talk in Second sec, in Peter. Foolish, beyond belief. <laughs> and they started, it's, it's always the thing where the people come late, and then they have a big meal, the room is sweaty, and it's like half past nine, and they go, go ahead, you know? <laughs> And the people, are, the people are starting, they're, they're like this to begin with, and I haven't even begun speaking. And so, so I told them, I said, you know, I said, I, I, know, I know that many of you know a lot more about this than I do, and uh, what Peter is trying to say in this is this, and uh, I know many of you are students, and you know a lot about this, and, and, and we have that, and, you know, and... Uh -huh. <laughs> And eventually, eventually, you know, I was longing for, like, the second death, <laughs> anything, you know, just anything. And there was a man sitting like this on the front row. He had a navy blazer on. He kept his leg like this the whole time. And he was just slightly underneath me. He never took his eyes off me. And it was very intimidating. And it was, I, so I, I, I dribbled to a conclusion. And they, had, and they had a bookstall, one of those old, you know, the ones they carry around. And so I said, amen. And I went round behind the bookstall to get out here so that I'd never see anyone again for <laughs> ever in my entire life. And as I just got behind the bookstall, a hand grabbed me. 
And I turn around, it was the guy with the navy blue jacket. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably know this guy. His name was David Patterson. Hmm? He's now gone to glory, but he was a, he was a, a wonderful preacher and a free, a, a free church minister. And he said, may, he's from the highlands of Scotland. He said, may I have a wee word with you? <laughs> and well, what am I going to say? I said, yeah. He said, um, my name is Davy Patterson, and I'm on the OMF council. Okay, fine. And he says, um, what you said tonight about uh, the, the, the breaking down of an entry into, you know, that you'll make an abundant entry into heaven, um, King James Version. He said, that was very good. <laughs> he said, but that was the only thing that was good. <laughs> And then he said, then he said, if you had said one more time what Peter is trying to say, I would have stood up and shouted out. Because, son, Peter was not trying to say anything. Peter was saying things. It was you that was trying to say something. And you weren't very good at it. And he said, why do you keep saying everyone in the room knows more about it than you? Even if they do, don't say that. <laughs> now, he said, he, said, he said, when you stand in that place, son, you are God's man with God's word. And if you've got um, a filet mignon, so to speak, or if you've got a pound of hamburger... It doesn't matter. You've got what you've got. And deliver what you have without apology. And don't ever say these things again, he said. <laughs> and he said, and I would just like to pray with you. So standing right behind the bookstore, he puts his arm around me mm. and he prays for me. Mm. And I then definitely had to go. <laughs> I, went, I went in my room. I wept like a child. I wept like a child for what I had done, what I hadn't done, what I did. And he, and he told me, he says, son, the only reason I'm telling you this is because I think you may have a chance. <laughs> That's beautiful. And before he died, when he was living in a little cottage in Broer up in the Highlands of Scotland, two or three years ago, I went to find him because I was at the Northern Convention in Inverness. But I went to the butcher. And I went to the butcher and I got three uh, steaks oh, good. and a pound of mince. And I went, I rang his doorbell and I had a, a bag and I said, Davy, is it steak or is it mince? <laughs> and he said, son, it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's great. That's good. That's good. I think after stories like that, we should all just go home. <laughs> Praise God. You guys want to venture one, or should we call it quits? That is a good no, I'm, note I'm to not end touching on. that thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, try to be as funny and moving as that. That's hard. I won't be moving, but, uh, but here's embarrassment. I, I don't weep very often in the pulpit, but I find well-ordered Christian baptisms, especially where I know who's got converted, very moving. I, I'm on the edge of tears in any decent Christian baptism. I, I, just, I just am. The time came when I had to baptize my daughter. Mm. She was 18. 
and I knew I was going to be in big trouble. So not, all, not only... She should have done it when she was an infant. You'd have been <laughs> all right. <laughs> you, walked into that one. You, you heard it yourself. The real motivation behind infant yeah. baptism. <laughs> <laughs> they talk about this covenant stuff till the Kais come home. They just don't want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> anyway... Um, so I, I, I usually try to prepare, but this time I prepared immaculately and wrote everything out verbatim. And I was going to keep my nose, you know, on my handwritten manuscript there on the baptistry shelf. And, and I, I go through this. I use an old set of vows that have gone back in the early church. And, Do you renounce the devil and all his works? Yes, Dad. You know, she, she was always one of these, you know, cuddly sorts, Precious. you know. And, um, and so, upon profession of your faith, by the authority of Christ Jesus, the head of the church, and I was about to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, but I thought, hey, I've made it, and I took my eyes off the page. By the authority vested in me by Jesus Christ, the head of the church, I pronounce... <laughs> It was a little titter in the congregation. You know, what, what, what are your options? I, I pronounce you fit for baptism. <laughs> she snuggled up to me and said, not yet, Dad. <laughs> Which absolutely blew it. So, you know, what That's can great. you say? That's great. Well, we will end on that note then. Why don't you thank these guys for a night of good teaching. Again, if you didn't get that cross book on your way in, get it on your way out. Uh, the books and resources room will be open for another 30 minutes tonight. We start back at 9 a.m. Is that right? Yes, it is. Um, and our doors open, and the books and resources room will be open tomorrow at 8.15. So hopefully we'll see you tomorrow. Let me just quickly thank the Lord for a good evening. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for Jesus who died in our place. We pray for rest and encouragement in you, and return us safely here together tomorrow for your namesake. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great night.